Welcome. I'm Penny Stack, and I'm glad you've joined us today as we take a deep dive into all things educate to advocate. Growing up with undiagnosed dyslexia, as a mother of a child with dyslexia, and as an occupational therapist working with hundreds of children with dyslexia through the Dyslexia Center of Tulsa, the Educate to Advocate podcast was born. My mission, it's simple, is to create a safe space to explore the lived experiences of learning differences that go beyond the classroom for parents, teachers, therapists, and everyone in between. You are not alone. Understanding the tears and celebrating the wins from my heart to your home. I am happy to welcome back a previous guest, Jessica Haven. Jessica, thanks for coming back and doing another podcast with us. Thank you. When you were on last time, we talked about trauma. We talked about what is trauma, how do you recognize trauma, and then how do you develop the safe environment? So... Jessica is a licensed professional counselor with extensive experience working with clients in a variety of settings, such as residential treatment, public school systems, and higher education, where she served as a direct care provider, counselor, and trainer. She conducts training in the area of mental health first aid, QPR, which is suicide prevention training, stress management, substance abuse prevention, and other mental health related topics. Jessica holds a master's degree in clinical psychology from Missouri State University. And in addition to her licensure as a licensed professional counselor supervisor, she's a national certified counselor, a certified employee assistance professional, and is certified in critical incident stress management. So when we think about trauma and we have now recognized and identified whether we're working with a child or we're working with a teenager or even an adult, right? Because trauma can follow you throughout your whole life. And maybe we are not an expert in trauma counseling. We're a teacher. We are a therapist. We're interfacing with them somehow, but we are not equipped. We're not a trained trauma specialist. We're not equipped to provide support. So we know we need to guide them. Are we looking at anxiety, you know, giving grace, making a plan? Like, what is the next step in providing support for somebody with trauma? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think that it kind of depends on the context of your role, of course, as you said. And I think that it depends on what kind of support system that person has. So again, as you you stated it just now, we can't be that person's entire treatment team, right? right? So if, if their symptoms have been ongoing for more than a month, then that's usually the point in time in which we say, you might want to talk to a medical profession. So if it's a child, a pediatrician, a counselor, a social worker, a school counselor, someone that can help that person or that student in this scenario kind of process what they've been through. I don't ever want people to skip over that. And I don't ever want to make the statement like, oh, as a community, we can heal this person. Because there's so many specialized things that medical professionals or, again, social workers or counselors can do to help people process through that trauma. In a support role, we are just there for them through that journey, essentially. You know, in being in a support role, I think part of the reason we are in support roles is because we care we want to help and we want to heal. 
And we need to be okay if our recommendations not well received or not acted on. And I think that is really hard. We see it, but it may not be obvious to the other person, or maybe we're completely misunderstanding it. Who knows, right? Because we're not the expert, we're not taking a deep dive. But it isn't our personal failure if they choose not to seek further support. And not only is it not our personal failure, but we cannot then step in and try to be that support. Yes. In that way. So I think you bring up a great point that we we can give resources, we can provide support. Let's say you're in a support role with a child and you're you're telling the caregiver, here's what I'm saying that I'm concerned about, and those concerns are dismissed, again, for instance. So if you've ever been in that position, it's a tough one because if you're sort of the caregiving personality and you want that person to, you know, do what I say, please, this this child needs something, it can be really hard when that's not well received. What I tell people is a couple of things on that note. One is people really need to be ready to process trauma. And so it used to be that we would say right after something happened, people need to process it. They need to do this. They need to do that. And really, as a profession, counseling is now saying, or at least the the things that I read and learn about are saying, people will process it when they're ready and not a minute before. So we can give resources, but if they're not ready, that's okay. And I call this planting a seed, which is saying to a person, you know, if you're not ready right now, I will be here when you are ready. And a lot of times we've seen those clients come back when they are ready. And they will say, I remember three years ago <laughs> when you told me when I was ready, I could come back and, and here I am, I'm ready. That is a powerful statement. Yeah. I like that statement. Yeah. Because they're you're right, they are not always ready. Yeah. And parents aren't always ready if, if it's their child, you know. We take on a lot of responsibility as parents. And so sometimes it's hard for us if our child has been through something, you know, we are, we were kind of having this conversation earlier, we think it's a reflection on us. And right. so then that, you know, and so I think that you have to be empathetic about those things. And it's hard. It's really hard. Wow, that is powerful. Thank you for, for sharing that. So we see the trauma, we recognize the trauma we are that peripheral support for that person. When we are that peripheral support person, there are still a few things that we can do within our parameter. And one of the things I keep thinking about is just expecting less from yourself as a support person, but also the person that has trauma to give them permission to expect less. They they don't have to take it all on right now and be perfect and like I had somebody tell me this a long time ago and I now share it with my clients and my students. And that is sometimes it's okay just to have it done. It doesn't need to be perfect. Just being done is enough. And that permission, especially when we're really hard on ourselves and we want perfection, from that expecting less, there comes a time where making some intentional plan could be helpful. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah. So I think when we say expect less from from yourself, we think about that from a biological perspective. When you've been through something traumatic, 
your body gets exhausted because that fight or flight has been activated. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's really hard on your body, especially if it's a prolonged event. It's not just a one one off, you know. And so when you say expect less from yourself, one of the things I educate people on is, you know, your body's going to be exhausted. You're not going to be at your best. And that is okay. And I'll use COVID as an example, if that's okay. Sure, absolutely. But I, we did, or I did a lot of outreach and presentations during COVID to kind of let people know, first of all, yes, COVID is a traumatic event. It's a prolonged traumatic event. It's a world altering event. And here's what you need to know about how to manage that. And I really saw two sides of this coin. So on social media, I was seeing people were planting gardens and baking sourdough bread and doing all these things, you know, and that's great. If that helped those folks, then by all means, please do what helps you. But I also was hearing from a lot of people I knew, family, friends, colleagues, that they didn't have the energy to bake the bread or you know, do right. the gardening or whatever. And so we started very specifically telling people, it is okay if you do the bare minimum right now of what you need to do because your body is exhausted from all of this stress. And again, COVID hasn't been a day or a week it has been years, really yeah. the years. Yeah. yeah. And you bring up uh, social media and it's always interesting looking at social media because it's the movie reel of, you know, the highlights of someone's life. So yes, what you may not see behind that picture is yes, they may have baked bread that day, but what about the day before when they never got out of their jammies and baking bread was their celebration, right? And so there's balance here too. Yes. And not to believe everything you you see on social media. But I think for someone who's experienced trauma, social media can be a huge press pressure of expectations. Yes. Um, and I know this is kind of offbeat of what we we're talking about, but you almost cannot separate social media from our everyday life anymore. No. It, it is part of, of who we are. Yeah. I talk with people a lot about if you're using social media to connect with people, then it's a positive thing. If you are using it in a way that is causing social comparison, then it is not often a very helpful thing. And we have this thing in social psychology called impression formation, which is we all want to present the best pieces of ourselves. <laughs> yes. Like you don't wear, you know, your pajamas to a job interview. You hey, wear <laughs> I put on makeup today and we're not even, you know, on video. Exactly. <laughs> So impression formation is I want to put my best self out there. You don't wear pajamas to a job interview. You wear your best suit. And we do this on social media. Like you just said, we, we project the best pieces and we leave the rest out. But when you really know people and you really talk to people, you know what their daily lives are like. You know, uh, it's not all taking your kids to this museum or doing that. It's the days when nobody's out of their pajamas, you know, <laughs> we're eating macaroni and cheese and not you're, organic you're, meals. <laughs> you're changing three times because your kid just spit up on you, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. So I think when we do education or when I do education about that kind of thing, we talk to people about that, that please know that social media is not a true representation of people's lives and please don't use it to compare yourself. Because again, I, I was seeing that during COVID, people were saying, well, I don't have the energy. I am just barely getting through the day. I'm working from home. I've got my kids' school to worry about. I'm worried about COVID. I have a first responder who lives in my home, and I'm worried about them being out and about. And it was a lot. 
And so I would say to those folks, like, it is, that is okay that you're doing the bare minimum right now. You're doing the best you can. We're living through a global pandemic, and it is okay. But transitioning into your next question, then we start t- talking to people about what is the plan? How can you help yourself feel better? Because you are the expert on yourself, and you know best how to get yourself through these moments. But making a, a tried-and-true plan and then working that plan is very crucial to people's recovery during those times. You know, I think it's interesting. I'm going to share a little personal story that just happened recently. I, I was having some work done on, you know, just the website and our business. And, and we took kind of a detour off the conversation and talked about what my daily schedule looks like. And I was torn in that moment to say what my daily schedule really looks like or what I want her to think my daily schedule looks like. Like that did kind of go through my mind, but it was interesting because we talked about the schedule. And then I said, some days I get really fatigued and I'll nap for three hours. Like I'll go to sleep at four o'clock or five o'clock in the afternoon and I'll, it's the hardest sleep ever. And then I kind of shrugged it off and said, yeah, I know I shouldn't do that or say anything about that. And, and I thought her response was great. And I wish more people would be accepting. And she said, you know what, if that's what your body needs, then that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And I was just blown away because I'm standing in front of a very powerful entrepreneur, very strong woman who I look up to and think, oh my gosh, she's got it going on. And to just give that acknowledgement, I could feel this weight just coming right off of me. I'm like, I mean, it's okay. Like, <laughs> People can do this. And so whatever that is for you, but to support other people by giving permission and to realize everything's not perfect. And how do you make that space to do self-care and still perform at a level that you need to perform, whatever that might be for you? You know, some people just yesterday, I thought two hour lunches were a great idea. (laughs) I'm like, really thinking I went through this whole scenario of why it was a great idea, but whatever that might be, right, Mm -hmm. that that's valid. Absolutely. And I think sometimes we get our identity is sort of tied up in our productivity. So what we produce becomes who we are. And at times, that's okay. But at times, it can be sort of destructive. And I think we do that with kids, too. You know, a lot of times we don't give kids enough time and space to just do whatever or be bored or, you know, you know, that is huge in child development you know, one physical activity a week, maybe one academic activity a week, whatever works for your family, but they need to have time to be completely bored and Mm -hmm. wonder what they're going to do. That's when creativity starts. Yes. That's a lot of character building. Confidence can, can grow that way. Such an opportunity for learning and developing, but they, they absolutely being bored is important. Mm -hmm. And adults need that too. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And so, I think that it just goes into the next part of, okay, so you've made this plan, Mm -hmm. work the plan. Yeah. Right? Like, you know how you write down your calendar? I am so guilty of this. I'll write down on my calendar all these things I need to do. And then I never go look at the calendar or never go back to look at my to-do list. I'm like, okay, that didn't work quite like it should have, but work the plan. Yeah. I was listening to something this week and they were talking about how we all sort of overshoot what we can actually accomplish in a day. And I am certainly guilty of that too. But when we think about personalizing the plan, one question I 
ask people is, what brings you joy, comfort, peace? What helps you in times of stress? Because people tend to go back to those things, and they, but they will forget. Like, oh yeah, two years ago I went through that thing, and I did this, and it helped. And it's like, well, then go do that thing. And this is just a, a personal story, but during COVID, I really rediscovered, I guess I would say, walking. Oh, nice. I had time <laughs> and I wanted to be outside, you yes. know? And so I started walking more and I started listening to podcasts while I walk because that was an opportunity for some physical activity. And then the podcast sort of fed that intellectual need that I have that I don't always have time to really do. And so that is what we're talking about. Like, is it physical activity? Is it reading a book? Is it being amongst people that you love and that know you well? The biggest thing in reference to trauma is just not isolating yourself. Trauma will make people feel like nobody wants to be around them, that no one understands what they're going through, and all of those things. And so whatever, I always say this to clients, like, whatever trauma is telling you to do, do the opposite. Trauma's, oh, that's interesting. Trauma is telling you to stay by yourself because nobody gets it and nobody will ever understand. You need to go be around people. Go be around people that care about you and love you. And we have a list of do's and don'ts. You know, again, don't isolate. Do be around people. Don't do anything that's self-destructive. So sometimes people's immediate reaction to going through something that's traumatic is to numb themselves because they don't want to feel whatever they're feeling. But that is the exact opposite of what they need to be doing. They need to feel what they're going through to be able to process to the other side. And one of the more unfortunate things I saw during COVID was, I think alcohol sales just went. I was ju that was just yeah. running through my head was yeah. self-medicating and alcohol and how easily accessible that is. Yeah. And, and we saw that. We saw alcohol sales just went through the roof. And I thought, wow, people are really wanting to check out from the world right now. And again, I get that. It's just not a very good long-term It's not the healthy, sustainable strategy. way to go. Right, right. 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 And I think it just gets into the cycle, right? You self-medicate maybe in, in a way that's not the healthiest, and then it stuns you or stumps you or stuns you? Okay, whichever word limits your ability to then be prepared to process through. Exactly. And you just stay in this vortex mm -hmm. and, and have yeah. a challenge getting out. When I do presentations on this, I use this example. There's a really wonderful children's book. It's called We're Going on a Bear Hunt. And I unfortunately cannot remember the author. So, but there is really beautiful illustrations in that book. And the family, this is, there's this family, they're going on a bear hunt and they experience challenges. And so for every challenge they experience in the book, they, there's a little tagline on each page that says, we can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. And I remember reading that story to my daughter years ago, and I thought, wow, this is like the perfect metaphor for trauma, because mm -hmm. that's what we tell people. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can't drink your way out of it. You can't shop your way out of it. You can't whatever the behavior is. You've got to go through it to get to the other side. And people don't want to. They don't want It's hard. You know, and it's, it's uncomfortable. Hard. Yes. Yeah. But if you can then you're going to get to the other side. What is very sad to me in the years of counseling that I've done is people allow that traumatic event to define their lives. Instead of being something that they went through or they processed through, it starts to define who they are. 
And it really doesn't have to be that way. If you can process through something and get to the other side, then you have the opportunity to learn. There's actually a term called post-traumatic growth that can happen where it changes who we are in a, in a way that we would have never imagined or guessed was even possible. So an example of this might be you go through something traumatic and you realize that you have this passion for a cause that you didn't know you had before. And so you devote your life to that cause. I mean, you and I could think of tons of examples of people who have done that in their lives. And when we can do that, it's a really beautiful thing because it means I am not what I went through. It is a piece of me. It'll always be a part of me, but it does not have to define who I am. Well, that is powerful. And I, you're right. I, when I think about it, I can picture people in my life, and then there's famous people as well who have become an advocate for whatever was once their hard, hardship. Mm-hmm. So I definitely see that for sure. Well, Jessica, I'd like to thank you for being on the podcast again and and revisiting with us. I always enjoy visiting with you. Learn a ton. So thank you very much. There were a couple of takeaways. I think my biggest takeaway was the understanding of the value of planting a seed that people need to be ready to process and their timeline may be different than your timeline and that that's okay and to keep that door open. I think that was really powerful. And the other was to do the opposite of whatever trauma is telling you to do. That is so hard, but I think is powerful at the same time. So thank you. Thank you. I hope today you were left with a feeling of empowerment to advocate. Thank you for making the Educate to Advocate podcast a small part of your day. I would love to hear from you and what's on your mind. So email your questions and comments to educate to advocate at gmail.com. Listen for your topic to be on a future podcast. Connect with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe and listen to the podcast on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Alexa, iHeartRadio, and all places podcasts are found. <music>